Hello and welcome to the Spidey Dude Radio Network. I'm Zach Joyner, owner of the website that powers the podcast and executive producer of the Spidey Dude Radio Network. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome you to the Spectacular Spider-Man Sal Buscema Era Podcast, a podcast all about Sal's run on the Spectacular Spider-Man. Before I turn it over to our host, Chris, I wanted to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash Network. They help sponsor the show. Greg, Vinkman, Scott, Kaylee, and Phoenician, thank you all for your support. And if you want to get some more info, check it out at that aforementioned website at patreon.com slash network to get more perks, like getting some shows early. And we'll have more coming very, very soon. They'll get some exclusives very soon. Stay tuned for that. Finally, before I go, I want to encourage you to check out our other fine programs, Spidey Dude Experience, ASM Classics, Make Mine Mayday, Broken Rider Variety Hour, Clone Saga Chronicles, Spectacular Radio, and Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. Be sure to leave feedback on the respective feeds, give us a five-star review, and leave feedback at the email address at thatradiohorror at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to this exciting episode of the show, and now, here's Chris. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Spectacular Sal Basama Era podcast here on the Spider Dude Network. Really do appreciate it, you joining in for the first of, right now is going to be archived, 30 episodes of the show. <laughs> um, so uh, you're going to hear some comments and some uh, historical facts that might seem a little out of dated, such things as like, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, <laughs> when we, now it's 2022 when you're probably listening to this, or it's in the future. Uh, these episodes were on our previous network, and we left that network, and we have shunted over to the spider Do Network, thanks to our friendship with Zach. And he's actually on an episode with us, as well as the host of uh, Mayday's podcast, Kelly. So they'll be coming up in a couple episodes. But um, so there are other voices on this show, uh, like Leo Pond, who is the uh, runner of the Dorkening Network. He was uh, with us for a little while, and then he was unable to continue uh, helping co-host duties. So uh, we will be eventually up to date into 2022 with new episodes eventually. But again, please sit back and enjoy these archived older episodes from about a year ago, so they're not too far back. And uh, we will be more into the modern-day timeline of uh, current episodes of the Salva Summer Era podcast. Uh, I will be your host in every single episode, and there will be uh, rotating cast of hosts. So um, the audio quality, I think, is still pretty good, but there are definitely going to be um, a lot of changes in the voices for the hosting. But uh, me, Chris, will still be here for every episode. But sit back and relax. Uh, the music that you're hearing is the Spectacular Spider-Man animated theme on guitar and one of the best theme songs of this version I have heard in quite some time. Niall Stenson and his uh, YouTube is where we are borrowing uh, a few seconds of this music from. Thank you, uh, everybody, and enjoy the uh, new show here on Spider Dude Network. And we are back. Chris, you with us? Yes. How's it going, my friend? Good. Okay, so if you're listening to this, the opening song you're hearing is by Niall Stenson. I might be mispronouncing his name. He has many covers for many different songs, including every version of every Power Ranger theme song. But I also reposted on my Twitter at Christy SAV uh, Child's Play and Godzilla's uh, main theme. 
which is relevant considering that trailer came out. But he he also did a rock metal version of the Spectacular Spider-Man. Oh, nice! Yeah, I was listening to your your episode that you posted. I love the music. Excellent. Yeah. And uh, today we are talking about Spectacular Spider-Man number issue one thirty-seven and one thirty-eight. Leo, do you have a plot synopsis, publication date, and credits for us? Uh, I have some information. Uh, let me pull it up here. Just want to point out to everyone, there is a giant difference between these two issues, and it's not just the color of the threads. The price tag changed from $0.75 cents to a dollar in one month, from April to May, it, back in uh, 1986, which is probably February or January of 1986, considering, you know, they always are two months out in the date in terms of publication. Big jump, big jump. Yeah. We, we were... And they explain it in the back of the second issue, which I will read about why that happens, as well as the other, um, you know, big change that happens in the issue as well. Awesome. Uh, well, uh, this is what I have for, uh, so it's Spectacular Spider-Man 137 and 138, written by Jerry Conway, art by Sal Basima, colorist was Bob Sharon, letterer was Rick Parker, editor was Jim Salekrup, and editor-in-chief at the time was Ron uh, Ron DeFalco. Todd, uh, Tom, Tom DeFalco. T- Tom De- oh, I said Rom. <laughs> <laughs> not the space knight sorry <laughs> uh typo okay so uh the titles was uh nowhere to run nowhere to hide and knight of the flag there's a new tarantula in town and he's on a mission to take out any political refugee he can find spider-man is finally able to chase down tarantula and it looks like this case is all webbed up but unbeknownst to the wall crawler tarantula has a shocking new ally Captain America! What a... What a twist! (laughs) What a twist! Uh, Yeah, so we're going to get right into it in the first issue. The covers have Captain America... Sorry, have Spider-Man in his black threads. The final time we will see him in the black threads until um, Todd McFarlane would put him back in it. Uh, which is funny when you think about it. Tom McFarlane takes Spider-Man out of the Black Threads in issue 300 of Amazing Spider-Man, but puts him back in the Black Threads so Spider-Man can go hunt down some uh, missing homeless people when Morbius is snatching them up off the streets because who cares about the homeless? You know, vampire feeding ground. But that's not the one I'm saying. That's just the way it's written by Tom McFarlane. (laughs) Tom McFarlane clearly has a lot of love for the homeless because they're the biggest allies of his character, Spawn, if you read the early issues of Spawn. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, moving on, whole other story. The cover has Tarantula 2 fighting Spider-Man and the Black Threads in front of Jesus Christ. I'm not even joking, it's Jesus Christ. (laughs) And then the second issue has Tarantula and Captain America, John Walker, not Steve Rogers, punching Spider-Man out. And just to get into that real quick, Captain America was told by the commissions of superhuman activities who basically monitor all the superhuman crap in the Marvel Universe. They're not, it's not the Civil War. It's not like a mask in front of me and get a job at the government. It's basically like S.H.I.E.L.D. and, uh, you know, good old Ronald Reagan era red tape and bureaucracy of the 1980s has told Captain America, you have to do this, that, and the other thing. And Steve's like, yeah, I don't think so. And they're like, well, guess what? You don't own Captain America, Mr. Rogers. So either give up the S.H.I.E.L.D. or do what we tell you to do. And so at the end of the issue, 
The second time, Steve lays down the shield and walks away, and he becomes the captain. And they decide to go get a brand new, shiny, blonde-haired, blue-eyed man named John Walker, who was kind of a jackass earlier in a couple issues before that, to become the new Captain America. I'm not going to get much more into about that, but if you're going to watch Falcon Winter Soldier, guess who's going to be on that show? John Walker. Because they don't want a black Captain America. They want their shiny white boy Captain America. And the government owns the mantle of the Captain America. That's going to be a plot line of that Falcon Winter Soldier show if you haven't gotten that from the credits. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, and what were you going to say there, Rich? No, uh, John Walker was the super patriot first. Yeah. And then he was U.S. agent. Uh, and he's been U.S. agent pretty much off and on uh, ever since. Uh, he is currently right now... I think he's U.S. agent again. He's got his own miniseries, um, or as another name for him is U.S. Jackass. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he he ran the Thunderbolts for a little while too, by the way. Uh, post um, post uh, the Dark Ages storyline of Norman Osborn running uh, Hammer when Hammer replaced Shield. Right. Uh, anyway, so we're gonna jump right into the issue. These two issues have a lot of political relevance to what's happening today we're, we're once again talking about a comic book from 1986 that is insanely relevant today we just had a huge change in our united states government and uh the topic of immigration will come up again and both of these issues have to do with illegal aliens and how do you feel about illegal aliens should illegal aliens be deported should they be sent back to countries that are just war-torn and that's what the tarantula is sent here to do and spider-man's kind of against it and eventually so is john walker because he realizes wow people look at the american flag and they fear it and that's not what the american flag should stand for not to get political but how relevant is that today leo Ah, uh, super relevant I mean, it's I we we try to not get political, obviously, on the Dark Thing Network, but you can't help it when the topic is written in front of you in what you're holding. Oh, totally. I, you know, uh, going with the the second issue. I so the first issue you have. Oh, yeah, let's get to the first issue first. Yep, yep, totally. Uh, I mean, you have uh, the makeup. It was the makeup artist for MJ, right? Yes, the makeup artist Elvira. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, Mary Jane is in a uh, doing a uh, modeling shoot because she's super popular. Her and Peter just moved into a brand new spiffy top floor penthouse apartment, and she has a uh, makeup artist who is a illegal alien yeah and uh she's extremely scared to go back um and we know why because you know tarantula uh, i'm trying to find a shot right here i mean he right. flat well, out only... yeah well there's tarantula so there's the other thing now this is tarantula too and he blames spider-man for the death of the original tarantula whose name was anton miguel rodriguez and he first appeared in amazing spider-man 134 i believe created by jerry conway and jerry conway was the original writer of, of spectacular spider-man number one Sal Busima and Conway and uh, Busima brought back Tarantula as a new character because, long story short, he got mixed up with Roxxon organization. If you play the Miles Morales video game uh, Spider-Man, Roxxon's the big enemy in that. And involving the Will of a Wisp character, I don't really care about. Not going to get too much into him. Uh, Tarantula turned into a giant spider and then went splat. And if you could see on the stream, uh, my little round picture is what the tarantula became. He became a giant humanoid tarantula. Nice. It indeed. 
And uh, this character is now named is Luis Alvarez. And he would bump around in the Spider-Man books for quite a, some time. He would team up with the Chameleon. He'd fight Black Cat. And then he'd go up against Punisher and Batrack the Leaper. And the last time we saw him, he got caught by the jury, which were a bunch of people wearing watered-down Iron Man armor who all hated Venom because they all had family members that were murdered by Venom. So they wanted to kill him. And they captured Tarantula and murdered him in Venom Sinner's Take All, which was a... Uh, uh, semi-return of the Sin Eater, but not the one that we just covered. Uh, also the first appearance of the She-Venom in the bubble-butt, b- giant-boobed uh, image that you've seen on the cover where she's got the huge teeth and the giant fangs. But uh, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> uh, so Tarantula, well, this Tarantula, he, he's he's come to the U.S. to flat-out kill people have, that have uh, defective his, defected his country. Correct. Uh, which is crazy. And then uh, we can see here he's uh, he's working with somebody within the U.S. Uh, a rogue agent, we come to find out. This person is not actually officially sanctioned by the United States government anymore. He got uh, removed because of his activities, which Captain America will find out about and disgust him even more. Because despite all of John Walker being kind of a jackass, he is a patriot true and true. And he does believe in this country and doing what's right. Now, a quick little side thing. Stop right there. Uh, if you're listening, or sorry, if you're watching on the stream and then if you're listening on the podcast, what we're describing is what's going to come up in the next five issues of Spectacular Spider-Man began in an issue of Web of Spider-Man. Robbie's old childhood uh, uh, friend, uh, friend in quotations, and by friend I mean you're the bully in school and you're, you got one little stooly friend and that happens to be Robbie Robertson is the first, the second appearance of Tombstone who is this uh, albino black man uh, that uh, Robbie covered up information for involving a murder to protect his life and to save tombstones from prison. Oh, wow. Yeah. Robbie's got some dark, dark secrets with this one. Uh, Tombstone was animated on the 90s animated cartoon series, and he didn't have any lines, but he was in Spider-Verse. Yeah. uh, He didn't have any lines? I thought he did. He, I think he's got a line, but he yeah. really has almost nothing to say in that movie. I would hope, and I don't know a lot of albino African-American actors out there, but the actor who plays Tobias Whale currently on uh, Black Lightning, and I'm not totally caught up, so I'm not entirely sure if he's still on that show as part of the CW universe, that would be an interesting actor to play Tombstone because you would definitely have to cast an albino black man to play Tombstone because that's what he is. Yeah, this was, uh, he was the character, he was sort of like a bodyguard for Kingpin. Correct. And if you watch the Spectacular Spider-Man cartoon series, which our theme song is part of, he actually took the place of the Kingpin of Crime in that cartoon, voiced by um, David Keith, Goliath from Gargoyles, uh, because they didn't have rights to use Kingpin at the time. Oh, wow. So they substituted him for Tombstone, and he it was a really good uh, villain. He he was very, it was very cool. They gave him, like, the sharp teeth or whatever, and they kept him in shadow a lot, so you really couldn't see him. And they made his skin a little bit more tinted blue sometimes, I think, but that might have been the way the shadow was. But they didn't really go into a lot of his backstory, and they definitely didn't cross him over with the Robbie Robertson character on that show at all. But he was on the show, and he was Spider-Man's kingpin for that show. But uh, just he is peppered throughout these couple of issues because he's working for uh, Wilson Smith, uh, Wilson Fisk's uh, si- uh, um, lackey, the Arranger, who sets up stuff for Wilson Fisk. And we'll get into more into Tombstone in the next couple, in next uh, several issues coming up. So, but he does pepper throughout this entire thing. And one of the reporters of the Daily Bugle is looking into why Robertson is so interested in a known contract killer like Tombstone. 
So uh, what I have on the screen right here, which you don't really see, is, is just a gang of thugs that, you know, Peter Parker obviously walks into the wrong side of town. And, Correct. Uh, this gang of thugs just, you know, start going off on them. And we talked about just recently. So this is from 86. We uh, last uh, time or our previous earlier in the show, we covered Longbow Hunters was 87. And talking about the big cities back then, they, they were pretty rough. Mm. You know, we a lot of people don't realize that, like, uh, you know, and we talked about it then. New York what was was really bad. It was, you know, it was certain areas you definitely didn't want to go in, you know. After the meeting with uh, Robbie and Tombstone, we also run into another character that will appear in Spider-Man comic books, uh, Ben Urich. If you remember, Ben was on the uh, first season of Daredevil. He got killed off. and He was also in the Daredevil movie because he's usually tied to Daredevil. He's the first person to ever learn Matt Murdock was actually Daredevil. Um, not by Matt revealing his identity to them, but he was a reporter who figured it out. And of course, eventually everyone learned who Daredevil was, but that's all been mind wiped and no one remembers now. But I digress. <laughs> ben Urich is a reporter for the Daily Bugle. Um, his uh, his wife was uh, his wife unfortunately committed suicide during the Secret Invasion storyline with the Skrulls, uh, which was very unfortunate. But he's popped in and out of the Spider-Man and Daredevil titles over the last several years, and he's covering this story involving the illegal aliens and the uh, appearance of Tarantula into the church and the big fight with Spider-Man. Um, I don't quite understand why they've written it as like Tarantula believes Spider-Man killed Tarantula. It's like anybody could figure out that Spider-Man has never taken a life before. It makes no sense to write this for the character to be like, oh, well, all of a sudden he must have just taken that life. That makes no sense whatsoever, considering every time Spider-Man's ever been accused of murder, Captain Stacy, George Stacy, Norman Osborn, he's been cleared of all those charges. You know, there's never been evidence to support Spider-Man is a murderer. Spider-Man's killed possibly, I think, one person his entire life. And that was Charlie in uh, the Spider-Man versus Wolverine one shot. And that's only because she forced him to do it by accident. So it was unintentional manslaughter on his part. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, uh, Chris, Chris, may I ask you, um, now this tarantula, they don't really say what his connection to the other tarantula is. Yes, the they do. Of, yeah. they do? Yes, they do. And uh, either in this issue or the second issue, he talks about how uh, this is why I was chosen to take the drugs that have given me the strength of blood tarantula. This is why I have come to El Norte to teach the lesson of terror. That's when Spider-Man shows up to stop him from teaching his lesson of terror. So he comes from the same country as the original tarantula. Both tarantulas are basically like their countries. I, I don't want to call them their country's Captain America, but that's kind of what they are. You know, take the drugs, get superpowers, be a representation of the country, become our hitman. Right, right, right. So it's more of a legacy. It's There's not an actual uh, familial connection. Right. Stop right there, Leo. Yep. <laughs> right, right there. Okay, good. You were too far ahead. Yep. <laughs> so Spider-Man uh, deals with Tarantula, and then the INS shows up and says, nope, illegal aliens, get them out of the country. They didn't do anything wrong, but they're still illegal. That is the problem with immigration right now. It's like, what? who do we deport? Do we deport everybody? Do we deport people who should be, who shouldn't be? I think if you're a criminal and you're doing bad stuff in this country, like killing people and robbing banks or whatever, breaking the law, yeah, I mean, you should be deported. But if you're a refugee from a country because your country sucks, then I don't think you should be deported. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely, because if you're working, let's say if you're working here no matter what, you're putting into the system. You're buying groceries here. You're paying utility bills here. You're buying gas for your cars here. You're contributing to society. 
Right. It's a slippery slope with this entire conversation. Of course, I do realize that because of illegal alien still means illegal. Yeah. And and I mean, you know, not getting political, but like the past four years, you know, it was like sort of demonizing anybody that was like an illegal alien, you know, it was, you know, that's why building a huge wall to keep them out and throwing them in cages and all that shit. Uh, right. You know, it, it's people forget, you know, this America is supposed to be a melting pot. You know, it's all our different views and, and you know, personalities and, and heritage. You know, this is what makes this nation great. It's just, you know, a huge, you know, um, hodgepodge of, you know, differences. You know? Jumping right over to issue 137. I thought this was going to be a dream sequence for Peter because I haven't read this in a while, but this is basically uh, Tarantula looks like he's having some kind of a wet dream in his head of killing Spider-Man to the point you see a giant blood splatter as he stabs Spider-Man and I, and then he spits right in Spider-Man's face. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, uh, for, oh, for 138. Yep. Yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, you have Captain America holding him down uh, for the people watching, uh, listening, uh, and not catching the live stream. And why not? Why aren't you watching the live stream? Uh, and he even mentions Peter. that it's like a daydream, or a Captain, yeah. Captain America tells him to stop daydreaming or something like that. Yeah, and Captain America is like, "Do I really want to work with this guy? Would the original <laughs> Captain America want to work with this guy? He doesn't call himself John Walker." But when he says the original Captain America, and you look at the time the comic book came out and what was happening in Captain America, that's when you know it's John Walker, not Steve Rogers. But also, because of the fact he doesn't know Spider-Man. He's never worked with Spider-Man. Steve has. So, so Chris, I don't know if you want to cover this now, but uh, wh- why is he in the red suit? He was in the black suit a second ago. Yeah, so at the end of issue 137, in the credits page, they actually talk a little bit about the uh, upcoming, uh, and I assume it's probably a week after this, the 300th issue, the 25th anniversary celebration of the first appearance of Spider-Man happened at this time. And um, in the back of the uh, writer uh, letters page, Spectacular Spider-Man, issue 300 was going to hit the stands, and we have the first appearance, first full appearance of Venom, and Venom pretended to be Spider-Man, and Mary Jane came home from work, modeling, acting, whatever, and Mary Jane is seeing Spider-Man in the dark, in the black suit, with the white emblem on his chest, and she's like, why are you breathing so heavy, Peter? And just this mouth forms out of the darkness, and all in his giant tentacle, you know, tendril, uh, uh, sharpened claws, and he says, hi, honey, I'm home. Harlan, Chris? And then, and then he... It, yeah, so this is at the end of uh, uh, issue 299. And, yes. Uh, sorry, what were you going to say, Rich? No, I was just asking if that issue 300 with the art you were showing, if that was uh, McFarlane. Yes, this is all... McFarlane took over the book at 298 till issue 325. Got it. This is Venom before he gets all the super sharp teeth and the giant tongue. They drew him a little bit more reasonable. It was his second appearance that he has the sharper teeth. And then Eric Larson gave him the ridiculous tentacle hentai-like tongue. Yeah. Um, which I have a poster hanging up behind me of Sp- of his tongue wrapped around Spider-Man's skull saying, Spider-Man, I, I killed you well, like Hamlet. Oh, um, yeah. What? Uh, what? I have that issue. What issue was it? Uh, it's an Eric Larson issue. It's uh, yeah. it's the it's the Venom Island uh, storyline. Yeah, that was such a good storyline. 
Yeah, and in fact, they just actually went back to that island over in the more recent issues of Venom about a year ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, he reminisces, like, I could have lived here forever. It would have been great. I didn't have to worry about anything. But Spider-Man brought me back. And that's all forgiven now because I don't go after Spider-Man anymore. I have no the symbiote god problems to do with that. <laughs> anyway, at the end of the issue, Mary Jane asks Peter to never wear the costume ever again. And he does. Now he wears the red and blue costume, which, by the way was a costume store variation of his costume that he got while he was in Germany fighting Wolverine in the Spider-Man Wolverine one-shot. Because on the back of it, it says Die Spider or something, which or however you say Spider-Man in German, yeah. is written on the back. So she alters the costume after they clearly bang, and then he goes web-swinging off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I just have to say, I absolutely love McFarlane's art. Yes. By the way, you can see a big difference in Mary Jane's hair in this. It's so 80s compared to her hair in the spectacular issues that we're covering right now. It's very much the more 70s, 60s Mary Jane hair, which was straight red and, you know, normal. Whereas this is like 80s to the extreme Mary Jane hair. (laughs) (laughs) A little curly. Yeah, so that is the only tie into The Amazing Spider-Man we'll probably talk about for at least a long time until we get to Inferno, because Inferno has a big crossover with that as well. Spider-Man and Mary Jane uh, go to the INS office to see if there's anything they can do for Elvira and her husband. They can't, while Robbie is still looking into his old buddy, Tombstone, and his uh, lead reporter, Kate, uh, I don't remember her last name. She's an on-again, off-again reporter character in Spider-Man that we never saw again after a giant layoff of of uh, reporter characters in the during the clone saga uh, wonders why does Robbie have such interest in a contract killer and they even call it end of second interlude which is pretty funny uh, Tarantula shows up at the prison and uh, knocks out a guard and Cap- he's about to kill the guard when Captain America is like no <laughs> <laughs> and that's when Captain America really begins to realize working with this guy is a bad idea and he's looking at all these illegal aliens who see him wearing the American flag and are just like wow so much for the country of the free huh yeah and he even asks so when he's in the cell he asks Captain if he uh, understands Spanish and obviously Captain uh, says he doesn't so no. uh, then he starts threatening this woman in, in Spanish and see Cap looking back with uh, with the woman crying and, uh, you know, maybe he's Elvira. Coming. Elvira. So maybe he's coming to his senses. Then we have our third interlude where um, the arranger sends Tombstone after a guy who has um, uh, mind control powers. He's used his mind control powers to get super rich and he becomes a huge character coming up in the five part five parts we're going to cover an issue at a time tombstone storyline um peter is having a nightmare where characters like dr octopus venom the hobgoblin and someone named mongoose who i couldn't tell you who it is i have to look it up and i don't want to are attacking him mongoose (laughs) must have been a character he was fighting in web of spider-man because whenever they reference a bunch of villains attacking him at once it's usually villains that have appeared recently in the books uh, it will come again later on when he when he says, oh, I was being attacked by the Hobgoblin and Venom and Doc Ock, you know, because all simultaneously they were attacking him in various books. Yeah. Uh, Mary Jane gets a phone call that a virus is getting deported and Spider-Man swings out in the red and blue for the first time in this issue to go confront him, not realizing that Captain America is there and thinks Cap is going to help him. But he doesn't, unfortunately, and that's when the tarantula attacks. And it's just tarantula and Spider-Man because Cap pretty much watches the rest of the fight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, because he makes uh, he says uh, this is wrong. Attacking a wounded man isn't heroism. 
I have to ask myself, is this how the original Cap would act? Now, do you know how Captain America, John Walker, learned how to throw the shield like Steve? No. Um, the government gave him um, a training with the shield from Taskmaster, who has a uh, photographic memory of reflexes. That's Taskmaster's biggest power. Right. And we, uh, for anyone not familiar with the comic books, Taskmaster would appear, if they ever release it, in the Black Widow movie. Oh, push back again. Yeah. Oh, was yeah. It, was it pushed back? Because I read today that it was uh, somebody saw it listed on Disney Plus. The, the, uh, the, everyone keeps saying that, and it's just the trailer. Okay. Yeah, they put the trailers for their movies up there. The only thing they don't have up there is Eternals. I mean, honestly, here's 22 bucks Disney Plus. I'll buy your Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm I'm kind of over with. I, I know this is diverging, but uh, Black Widow. I'm 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 at the point where I don't care if I see it or not. If I see it, if it comes out, I'll see it. But if they decide to shelve it for 20 years, yeah, you know, I, I think they waited way too long. So Spider-Man defeats the tarantula and hauls him off to jail, and that's when the stooly government guy, Mr. South, gets punched out by Captain America because he's tired of putting up with his BS. And then we have an interlude talking about like what to do about illegal aliens and you know how we should be treating them. And with luck, they'll get the kind of welcome they deserve. It's not much, but sometimes you have to settle for small victories. I know, but it's the small defeats that break my heart. As she's talking about Elvira and her family are being deported back to their country, but they're going to get uh, they're going to get uh, um, uh, some type of protection when they go back home. They're not going to be hunted by Tarantula and the corrupt um, regime that he happens to work for. Makes you think, though. So Tarantula works for the government of whatever country he's from, but the refugees are being sent back to their country to be protected. Maybe it's not the same country. Maybe it's just all the entire continent of South America. So, I'm sorry, go ahead, Rich. No, I was just saying that's an excellent question. You you (coughs) found a point in the story or a faux pas, if you will. In the Spectacular Spider-Man, they talk about the price increase, and it says, we've got some good news and bad news this time around. First, the bad news. Due to ever-increasing costs, we've had to raise the price of Spidey titles to $1 each. No, Spider-Man is just your most popular title and you want more money. Um, <laughs> from people who have told me, they said there was no reason to raise the price of Spider-Man's comic book. It's just your most popular book. You want an extra quarter every, out of everybody. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, the Spider titles and the Mutant titles and a few others. Gee, what were the most popular books in the 80s and 90s? The X-Men and Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, I, you know, not getting political or anything like this, I, I love at the end... Uh, they give the inscription for uh, the Statue of Liberty. Uh, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And uh, yeah, that's a lot of people need to be reminded about that nowadays. And uh, obviously back then too. In the um, in continuing with the blurb about the price increase, they also give you a quick hint about where is continuity taking place when, because John Walker would appear also in other titles as Captain America, of course, him being a somewhat an Avenger. I don't think he was an Avenger. I think Steve took over as the captain in the various titles uh, in the black suit, black and red, white and suit, um, with his stupid Stark shield, which he was basically given as a, as like shut up money for Tony Stark to go run around in the uh, armor wars, which were happening at the same time. Um, this takes place alongside Thor number 392. 
Amazing Spider-Man, as we mentioned, number 300, and a Web of Spider-Man number 39, which features the, the return of the Hobgoblin and uh, Spider-Man's going away part, uh, Peter's going away party from his apartment from all of his cast of characters that we've come to know over the last 10 years that uh, were living in the same building as him. Oh, wow. Including girls that Peter would constantly be like flirting with and go on semi-dates with once in a while or... Oh, they they were brought up in episode 300, right? During the movie? Yes, there were like three women that were just like these gorgeous looking girls and like two people were 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 helping. So so in in Web of Spider-Man 39, Peter and Mary Jane are moving out. In the issue 300, Peter, there it is. Peter, Mary Jane are moving in with the help of Flash Thompson, who was still alive at this time. Harry Osborn, who wasn't kindred at this time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and right there in the lower left-hand corner, you have the three gorgeous women, one of every hair color, by the way, uh, redhead, brunette, and blonde, who used to live next to Peter. <laughs> wow, there's Pete's old neighbors, Candy, Randy, and Bambi. <laughs> <laughs> Who, uh, by the way, were famous for constantly sunbathing nude outside <laughs> Peter's apartment next to the goddamn skylight that he would use to crawl in and out of his man. Poor <laughs> Peter. Poor Peter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, so all these people are helping MJ move in and two people about to crash into each other. Man, if I had them living next door, I'd never move. Yeah, most of them are like Mary Janes. I mean, you see Robbie Robertson right there in the background because he's smoking his pipe while he's moving. <laughs> um, and then, of course, you know, uh, most of them are like friends of Pete, of Mary Janes that Peter's just like, who are these people? And she's like, oh, you know, friends from soap opera, rich people I've hung out with and gone to parties with. And <laughs> Wait a second. Like you have that one rich guy who's like, please put it over there. He's like, wait a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Is that a Fozzie bear? No, but I think that is uh, on the left-hand side. I think that's the guy from Mad Magazine. <laughs> oh, Alfred E. Newman? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the guy in the lower left-hand corner right below the box that Peter's holding is somebody that that works at Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's even missing the... Yeah, that that's supposed to be Alfred. Now, Peter and Mary Jane would live in this place for the next 10 months, um, and I'll get into why when they move in Spectacular, because it does affect all the spider books that they don't live in this apartment. for They don't live in this uh, penthouse uh, building forever. They, do are, they are forced to move, um, and we will get to it eventually because it affects every single book. They're forced to go live with Aunt May. <laughs> <laughs> Which Peter's like, great, I gotta be Spider-Man at the Live Without May again. <laughs> uh, what'd you guys think of these two issues as uh, the next part or a kickoff of the beginning of the Spectacular Spider-Man run? Um, I really enjoyed them. Um, I did like the political aspect and how it uh, correlates to today. Um, and and he was, uh, the tarantula was very, like, focused. He really wanted to kill Spider-Man. It was almost like, it's like, well, why why is this so personal for you, man? It's He was really uh, entrenched in that feeling. And mm. uh, and he liked being uh, subversive. He liked not, you know, not showing Captain America what was really going on. The ads for the issue are pretty much repeated almost from uh, the uh, previous time we covered them. There's uh, Top Secret. I've never played this. This is a uh, role-playing game. You guys ever heard of this game? No. I I, I, uh, I know the movie. <laughs> yeah, nope. Nothing to do with the movie. Uh, assume the role of your favorite super spy from movies, television, or books. Equip yourself with everything from a Beretta to a bazooka. Leer to a Lamborghini and step into the ring. The spy ring. The all-new top-secret SI game. The world's first espionage role-playing game. Just got better. More exciting, more dangerous. Now that you've got to be better than Bond at his best. 
Um, so they like tied it in a bond, but you they never like bonds not like a character in the game. Nope, you gotta pay for that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they also both issues have the prizes or cash ads, which are the sales leadership club. You sell a bunch of crap, and then you can get like a watch, a microwave. Uh, a Walkman, a calculator, uh, a, 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 a tape deck recorder. You know, considering what we're talking on right now, a tape deck recorder is <laughs> some ancient technology. <laughs> uh, the Konami ads for all the Konami video games that we talked about previously. And uh, there is the uh, the Marvel comic book uh, subscription ad where you can basically get like, you know, eight issues for 75 cents or something like that. Uh, a bunch of pins that you can order where it says Wolverine saying buy them or take mine and then there's an ad in here for uh, the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System and a bunch of other great uh, Nintendo products which are very very cool um, and then they do profiles in here for Michael Higgins, who was the editor, uh, assistant editor on the Silver Surfer at the time during the bullpen bullpen bulletins, which were written by Tom DeFalco talking about uh, the anniversary of Spider-Man this month. Because, again, this was the 25th anniversary of Spider-Man's creation. Ooh. Another uh, five years, we'd have the big 30th anniversary. You remember with all the hologram covers? We'll get to those eventually because they are part of our coverage. <laughs> I remember those. Um, happening over in the Marvel Universe at this time, Captain America 341, as we mentioned, is the John Walker storyline. Avengers 291, I don't know what was happening there. I think they were still recovering from the uh, uh, Avengers uh, Mansion Siege story arc. Incredible uh, Hulk 343, which was the Grey Hulk storyline. Uh, Silver Surfer number 11. So this is when Surfer was kind of crappy and Ron Mars hadn't taken over as writer yet, which somebody in the group for the Dorking Network mentioned Ron Mars, right, Leo? Yeah. Uh, what was that in, in regards to? I don't know. I, I gave my two cents about it, but I didn't I didn't want to jump into that conversation. I've talked to Ron enough. We're friends. I, I would, uh, I, you know, if somebody, if nobody joins him, I'll, I'll join him definitely for it. But um, I'm a super huge Ron Mars fan and uh, I'm a friend of his and I, you know, I'm knowledgeable of his stuff. So nice. Uh, also happening at the time, Conan the King, number 46, which is very funny considering Marvel is publishing Conan right now again. How long do you think Marvel, before Marvel publishes um, all of their old toys once again, like G.I. Joe and Transformers, because they're publishing Star Wars again? Well, uh, oh, you mean the, the books? Yeah. Well, IDW is doing Transformers, right? It's uh... Right. But how long before you think marvel starts publishing star Wars. i mean marvel's publishing alien and predator yeah (laughs) (laughs) i Uh, mean if you went to the comic book store the last couple weeks there are alternate alien covers for every single book marvel puts out right now why because alien is now marvel's property so they want to show you something cool guess what's going to happen the predator will be on every single cover as an alternate cover you could buy you can buy the regular cover or you can buy the alien cover. So, I so, mean, so the big question: King, King and Black storyline has Null fighting an alien. So, so how long until there is a Alien Predator Star Wars mashup? <laughs> Probably, possibly never, because Marvel's had the printing rights for Star Wars since 2015, and we still haven't seen a Guardians of the Galaxy Star Wars crossover, which everyone was yeah. hoping was going to happen. And there has never been a Star Wars crossover with other titles during the 25 years that uh, Dark Horse was publishing them. 
it's a it's a it's a it's a thing in the contract uh i was told by a former editor-in-chief of dark horse that they cannot cross star wars over with any property fan art is fine printed art for like a table you know like a, a pinup or something is fine like a lot of people have seen the one where darth vader is fighting all the xenomorphs that's fine but you're never going to get it in a comic book he said it, it's it's part of the agreement of like yoda's origin and yoda's uh, species name will never be said and ever revealed and that's fine we don't need star wars to cross over with other stuff aliens and predator makes a lot more sense because they are in they are in the you know earth like you know aliens come to earth predators come to earth that's fine it makes sense for the predator to fight the punisher you know if disney will ever figure out what they're gonna do with the punisher after what happened recently but i would love to see the predator fight the punisher or wolverine that would be cool. I don't want to see the Predator fight Spider-Man. I don't want to see him fight the Avengers. I want to see him fight characters that make sense. Conan the Barbarian would make perfect sense for him to fight the Predator. Oh, yeah. Because Conan's living in the Marvel Universe right now. <laughs> He's part of the Avengers. Well, wait, Chris, wait. I didn't think about the time, but we were talking about it on another episode. Uh, do you think the Brood was pretty much alien? Uh, I don't know. I don't know the entire backstory of the Brood, but I mean, just to assume that they have the alien now, that means the Brood are going to go away. I, I have no idea. I haven't read every single X-Men comic book out there. So I don't even know where the brood are right now in the lexicon of things. I do read every Guardians of the Galaxy, and the brood have barely showed up in that ever. So if they're waiting to do something with the brood, I, I honestly don't know. Maybe the brood are just going to go away quietly. Like, do you remember the Inhumans? Do you remember those characters? Do you remember how Donnie Gates came along and said, F the Inhumans, die, and freaking kill them all? <laughs> because the Inhumans suck, and the TV show sucked, and Marvel was trying to make the Inhumans the new X-Men, and nobody liked that? <laughs> <laughs> Well, who thought they'd ever pick up the Eternals as a, a Marvel property? The Eternals are a lot more interesting than the Inhumans because Neil Gaiman wrote them. <laughs> Nobody has written the Inhumans as being cool. <laughs> That's a whole other episode to get into because there's an internal movie coming out, so we can do the Eternals for the uh, splash pages sometimes, especially oh. the uh, Eternals uh, Neil Gaiman story that he did. Yeah, totally. Cool. Uh, we'll cover it. Coming up next in the Spider-Man Spectacular book, as I mentioned, the big Tombstone story, which goes for five issues, and also guest stars the Punisher. And in fact, it was my first introduction to the Punisher on a cover where the Punisher just has a pile of dudes below him, and he is beating the crap out of them, and it says, "Don't mess with the Punisher." So it's going to be one thirty-nine for next week, right? Correct. And absolutely love the uh, the. Uh, it was my first ever introduction to. I think also Mary Jane. I I was very new to Spider Man when I first read that issue, and uh, Tombstone shows up at Mary Jane's uh, modeling studio, and uh, things get bad for Mary Jane. And Peter is dealing with something with Robbie, and he just goes running away when he hears Mary Jane's been hurt or whatever. And I was just like, "What is going on?" Oh, I can't wait to get to it. <laughs> Awesome. Well, uh, definitely everybody tune in next week. Uh, if you're watching us live, we're streaming over on the Dorkening Podcast Network and uh, Splash Pages, the comic book club. And uh, for the podcast, uh, Chris can uh, clue you in on where to find that. Uh, and um, yeah, we'll have to get your feeds submitted everywhere. Um, and I'll, I'll work with you on that. Um, and people can find it wherever podcasts are found. Uh, anything else you have for us, Chris, before we wrap it up? Um, I don't know where these are collected. They're probably on Comicology if you want to read them. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so they're in comicology, they're like a buck. Yeah, most most likely. I think uh, Comicsology has a subscription also, right? Oh my god, I would be completely an idiot to re- to forget mentioning this. Uh, the day that we're recording this and doing the stream on the 26th, it is the 85th birthday of Sal Buscema. Oh. Uh, happy birthday, Sal. Yeah. Yes, and also yesterday it was the 91st birthday of John Romita Sr. Oh, wow. John Romita Sr. is considered to be the third father of Spider-Man because after Steve Ditko left, he took over the title. Let's face it, he brought life into that book, The Revelation of the Green Goblin, the first appearance of Joe Joe, Joe Robinson, who's going to become a big character for our story coming up, the first appearance of the Kingpin, the first appearance of Mary Jane, first appearance of the Rhino, the first appearance of the Shock... Uh, not the Shock... Was it the Shocker? No. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, a lot of big story arcs happen under John Romita Sr. So, uh, John Romita Sr. and uh, Sal Basima. Both have birthdays back to back. Very cool. 85 and 91. Awesome. Yeah. Chris, where do you like people following you? We don't have any social media for the Spectacular Spider-Man host pay, uh, Spider-Man show. Um, I run too many other social media things. We'll post episodes on Christy SAV on Twitter. And my other comic book related show is at Goth Girl Horror with me and my co-host Charcy. Discuss Hack Slash, the uh, goth girl hunter of serial killers, slashers by Tim Seeley. And also, if you're interested, you can buy my graphic novel coming out very, very soon, Vlada, Vlada, a Dracula tale. Awesome. We'll look for that. Which we just got a two and a half page forward from uh, New York Times bestselling author, Jonathan Mayberry. That is awesome. Congratulations on that. And uh, (laughs) very happy to see you succeed with it, which is so awesome. And uh, with that, we'll catch you guys later. Bye. Have a good night. (laughs) 